And let us pray. O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. When has your world been shaken? When has your world been rocked? Um, you know, it's, each, each one of us have had some sort of um, hardship or suffering that caused us to pause and, and try to analyze uh, how stable life really is or how short it is. Um, but, you know, some, some of people we know and some of us have had greater issues than others. There's a family we knew from uh, Virginia who had a total of nine children, and eight of whom went with their mother to visit that sister, so it would be their aunt in uh, Michigan, I believe it was. And while they were sleeping in the aunt's house, there was a, uh, the house had an explosion from a uh, faulty gas line installation, was my understanding. And the house caught fire, and there was, it really was an explosion, and um, six of their children perished. And of course, then there's also the, the uh, story that we're also familiar with, with, with uh, Pastor Ephraim and Berta and, and, and their son Enoch who was uh, out with their other son, Timothy, and got struck by a car. This sudden tra- tragedy where, how can you imagine what that would be like? For, to experience such loss, and then in the case of that family, with such great loss, where you've had such a large family, and now reduced immediately. How is it that they did not just shrivel up and kind of, you know, cave in on themselves for days, weeks, months, maybe even years. They did not. And they did not say, where is the Lord in this? And why has the Lord left us in this? They actually gave great witness, great testimony to the faithfulness of the Lord in the midst of all this suffering. Where does that come from? This is, this is far different than what we might expect a reaction to be. We might think that that's quite different than what our reaction would be had we experienced the same thing. Well, the reality is that they had built their house on the solid rock and were able to withstand the storms of life. What comfort would it bring you if you realized that your main goal in raising your children was so that those children would love the Lord and spend eternity with Him? And then if your child died, that sense of loss, which has to be great, and and I admit I can't understand what that's like. But that sense of loss perhaps could be balanced then with a sense of accomplishment had your child died knowing and loving Jesus. But that kind of perspective is far different than what the world tells us your goals for raising your children should be or how you should live your life or the goals you should be pursuing. It's to to think that um, in these very simplistic terms, that your main goal for raising your children is so that they love Jesus, so they spend eternity with him, would just be far different than what we're exposed to in the world. As we're wrapping up this Sermon on the Plain, Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, um, here he comes to describe true discipleship. He's been teaching as he had called those disciples out among the crowd, and he chose those whom he would call apostles, 
he then has been teaching what it means to be a disciple. And so here he's discussing true discipleship in this section. So we're going to look at first, who is a true disciple? In verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Well, the language of Lord, um, which would be Adonai, is is the uh, how that would be before before translated into English. Um, that indicates someone recognizing Jesus' authority and position. They they already understand that they are a, the Lord is somebody above them, and that's why they're referencing him as Lord. But then when they repeat it, Lord, Lord, it's kind of an emphatic. Um, declaration of their allegiance to him. So these people evidently are claiming allegiance to him, but not doing what he says. And 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 again, we've got in this crowd, there are, are people following him for many different reasons um, to show up and to, and to listen to his teaching or to see him healing. And so we shouldn't be surprised that there are people who are hearing him and not doing what he's telling them. And, of course, most of this teaching, I think, is really directed at the disciples themselves, these whom he has called out of this group who he's he's given the name of apostles to. And he's looking at them and saying, why is it that you don't do what I'm telling you to do? This is a very confrontational moment in this sermon. And he's calling them out for not doing his word. They seem to be gathering, they seem to be hearing, but they don't, don't seem to be doing his word. This is a, a warning of what will happen on Judgment Day if one does not choose to build his faith and his life on Jesus. But it also has implications for our everyday life and navigating through life in this very world before that day comes. So in verse 47 we can see the characteristics of an authentic disciple. Verse 47 says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. In, in this verse, Jesus describes what authentic discipleship looks like. We talked about knowing that true Jesus a few weeks ago. That there are, there are people who... Um, might elevate an attribute of God to such a level that it's out of balance with his other attributes, or they don't recognize his other attributes at all. And so they concoct a God, an idol, to worship, which is of their own making. And it becomes, <clears throat> it becomes not really the Christian faith. It's, it's kind of a, a mix between true Christianity and, say, worldly wisdom, which is really syncretism at this point. And if... One is a follower of Jesus. He or she will do these three things and and know the true Jesus. And so if one knows the true Jesus, these three things are going to happen. And in the the Greek, these um, verbs would be like continual action. So one would uh, be continually coming to Jesus. One would continually be hearing from Jesus. And one would continually be doing God's word. So we're going to look first then of coming to Jesus at that characteristic. To be, so to be a disciple always, always means coming to Christ. And again, uh, those who he's preaching to in that large crowd 
may, may be uh, coming from many different areas to hear him. And this, uh, in, this, in this crowd, there would have been different levels of interest and different reasons for coming to see him. So um, that would shape what their intentions were as they came. But today, people do the same thing. But those who want to be with Jesus and hear his word and do them, those who are authentic disciples, will come to Jesus, and that takes place in the form of church. So we call our worship gathering, in our, in our, in our terminology, we call this Connect to Christ. And so on your, on your bulletin to simplify things, what it, what it, what a disciple will go through and what a disciple's, how a disciple will be made will be connect, grow, and serve. So he's going to connect to Christ, grow in community, and serve others. And as, what, what is the path for, what, do, what is the path for discipleship at Redeemer? Well, it's connect, grow, and serve. Well, it's connecting to Christ as, as, as in our terms. That is the worship service. So one comes out of the world and into the presence of God in the body in a local expression and bringing your worship. So you come to bring your worship, but you also come to hear from God's word. And so it is very important that God's word is truly preached. And then the sacraments are uh, are presented. So th- th- those are the marks of the true church. So a true disciple wants to hear from Jesus, is going to come in a form of local body, and listen to God's word being preached. One of the saddest things that I encounter are the many, and I, and I find it to be many, who will call themselves Christians, but they don't go to church at all. And, and, they, and they will argue that this is okay. But this is simply not compatible with Jesus' teaching. It's not compatible with the rest of the Bible. It is an unbiblical perspective. Kent Hughes says... There are no churchless disciples. As this picture of this sermon, people came to Jesus to hear from his word. And that's the same thing that we're talking about when you come to church. People come, you come for, and, and there could be people coming for many different reasons, but a true disciple is going to come to hear God's word. Well, so let's talk about hearing and hearing God's word. So, an authentic disciple is that one who's going to continuously come, and then he continuously hears God's word. And since there are very many reasons why different people would have been showing up in this gathering, some would not have been prepared to hear. They wouldn't have had hearts to hear. It's not that he wasn't audible, they couldn't hear him. It's that they just weren't prepared. They didn't have the right heart to hear. They came to see a healing. They came to receive something not to in, in a in a different form or fashion than what perhaps he was producing, and so with the different motivations of even coming, do they have ears to hear? Now we've all experienced this, and at, in our current in our current time, and one of the it's we joke about it, but wives comment that husbands listen to them like this all the time, that they simply don't listen. I talk and talk and. And you don't seem to be listening. And perhaps we even do that some. But you, but you know what it's like. And I've been to conferences where there's a uh, person acting as the MC, And he's got to take, he or she's got to take care of housekeeping issues. And they've got to keep things on track and all this stuff. 
And, and typically in the kind of conference that's coming to my mind, it's, it's where somebody has been speaking and preaching. And so you've been listening intently. Then this MC person gets up and I just kind of tune them out. You don't, don't really care about the details this person's presenting, but they're, yet they're in front and they're presenting. Well, in that same form uh, as that, there are people who would not have ears to hear. They're not, they're not listening. They're not actively listening to what Jesus is saying. So we do that still here in the church, but active listening is very difficult task. This is, this is a, a difficult task for a true disciple. And it's one that needs to be learned. It's, this is more of an art in our day and time than it perhaps has been in the past because we are inundated with messages all the time. I don't know. It's millions of words a day we're exposed to by the, between whatever's going on around you, whoever those real people are. But then between the, the TV and the radio, all the different platforms for social media, there are many, many, many messages. And then, by, because everybody wants to get that message across to you, they, uh, everything has to be very short. And so they, we've been trained to have very short attention spans. And, and, and that's why even watching the news, they've got to rush through. You're in the middle of this huge story. You're uncovering all kinds of stuff. But you immediately have to go after however many seconds because you've got to have a break. And I understand commercials and you've got to be paid. I get that much. But... But part of the reason they do that is so that you, they can keep your attention. And they can keep you coming back for more as well, I guess. But, but and, and through all those things, we've been very conditioned to have a very short attention span. So to come and listen to God's Word can be very challenging for us. And to, and to hear a lengthy exposition of God's Word can be challenging to people. Um, I, and I find, it, I find it interesting that um, when you listen to people uh, talk about services, um, some will praise because the sermon was very short, and then some will say, well, the sermon was too short. And it, this is out of, the same, it's out of the same service. So we have a wide variety of opinions. We have a wide variety of backgrounds. And then there's a wide variety of things that are competing for our attention and who have, which have conditioned us to be prepared to sit and listen. And, I, and this is that truly listening, truly hearing. 2 Timothy 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So I do find it interesting to see this playing out in our very lives. And if someone can hold attention and teach on things that are more led by superstition and myths, people can give their attention to that a lot of times where they won't sound teaching. So hearing God's word, it, it requires us to listen and listen well. It's something we may need to practice. It also requires us to pray. Um, we want to pray for God to prepare our hearts to receive what he has in store for us. If we truly believe this is really God's word and that the exposition of it is going to give explanation and application to our lives, then we want, we should want to hear from God in that, in that sense. We should want to experience as much as we can in the service that we're coming to. So we should pray and we should pray 
for the, the preacher. We should pray for whoever it is that's speaking. We should pray for the musicians. We should pray for the flow of the service. We should play, pray for our readers and our children's people and so on. Because we are looking for God to enter our presence and teach us and, and, and mold us and shape us in this time that we spend. And even if a service is long, compared to the number of hours in the week, it's not very long to be formed and shaped. Even if a sermon is long, it's not very long compared to the rest of the hours formed and shaped. Um, The people who can can sit and and watch the soap operas for hours on end, but can't, and, 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 and then argue that attention spans are only 20 minutes, and if a sermon goes more than 20 minutes, they've lost the crowd. But you could spend hours watching soap operas or whatever. And you think on that, and you, think, you compare the 20 minutes, the 30 minutes, the 40 minutes, an hour out of the week of all the other information that's coming, and this is God's opportunity. It's the opportunity you're giving God, because we're not, we're not monks, we don't live in monastery, we're not out of the world. This may be the only time you're actually dedicating time to the Lord to shape and form and mold you out of the world and into Him. Then it doesn't seem very long to me. Actually, it doesn't seem quite long enough. So we want to ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive from him what he has in store for us so that we can worship him in freedom. The other thing I think goes along with listening is, 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 uh, is, is have your own Bible. Bring your own Bible. Keep your Bible open to the passage that we're discussing. And then uh, have a pen in hand and be prepared to take notes. In our bulletins, we typically provide space so people could take notes. Um, some people like to carry a, like a, a binder or a, 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 some sort of a notebook thing so that they can actually make notes in there. I think that that could be very help, helpful. Um, of course, in today's world, your, your, electronic, your, your Bible may be in, on whatever electronic device, and in it you may want to take notes. And, of course, those, those things are very possible. Do you know how to use it? Can you? Those, those are kind of key things. You might want to write down... Um, any kind of scripture references. Sometimes we're in, we spend, the way we do it here, the way a lot of people will do it, uh, sometimes there are short passages that are referenced, and you're not asked to turn even to those. Sometimes you're going to drill down on another passage, and you're asked to, to, to turn to those passages. Those passages, whatever the other passages are, it could be helpful just to jot down their address. And then, this will be helpful for the next stage, uh, which is actually meditating and, and, and thinking of the application. So throughout the time of, that you're listening in this active listening where you're ready and willing and able to take notes and you're writing down some uh, specific Bible verses, then later you might then look those verses up and see if you can remember and understand or even if the, assuming the preacher makes sense of this reference, how did it tie into the main Subject. How did it? How did it support what point? And in those kinds of things, where you're spending private time to look these things up, you're meditating on the message, on God's word, not not just switching gears to be into your devotional reading. Which I'm all for that, but this this is talking about how we listen to a sermon. Well, listening to your sermon actually extends well beyond the sermon and into um, meditating and applying. The message. If if you've ever done a uh, um, Bible in a year kind of reading, 
you're familiar with, you've got to read a good bit, uh, and you've got to read pretty quick in order to keep up. And Lord help you if you get behind. So then you're like, how do I get, how do I get caught up? And if you get very far, you can spend the whole weekend trying to get caught up. So your objective is to get done. And so you just kind of zoom through. And there's, there's, there are good things about that. But this kind of listening, what I'm talking about, if you're hearing, reading, meditating, thinking on the, the message that you've heard, this is more like, uh, as, a, as opposed to a racetrack, this is more like taking a drive on the Blue Ridge Parkway. You're going to cruise along at a very slow, slow pace. And from time to time, you're going to see this overlook, and you're going to pull over, and you're going to take, a, take in the scenery. That's this kind of listening. That's this kind of reading. As you go through and you're meditating on it, you're like, okay, how did that passage relate to this? How does it support? What was that point? Do your notes make sense? These things, mulling that over, will help you listen. And, and, and the fact... I, I, have, I am in agreement that we've been trained for short attention spans. It's our duty as authentic disciples to fight against those things. These are tools to help you fight against them. We can either employ the tools or we can leave God's word sitting where it was. I leave the place. I go home and I start flipping the channels. So about every 20 seconds I can have some different kind of thing stimulating my brain. Those are choices we make. Or, at some point in time, I take the time to look at my notes and meditate on God's Word and say, what does that really mean for me? The preacher gave a general application, but what does it mean for me? And then, once we come to some of these things, then then comes the difficult part, because this is not enough. That's not enough. That's That's what he said. This is what he said. That's not enough. If you've listened, if you've done all those things that we've talked about, you've come and you've heard and you've meditated and you're thinking of application, that's not enough. What does he say? It's doing his word. He says, everyone who comes to me, one, and hears my words, two, and does them. See, he's, he's not looking for just people who can listen. He's not looking for people who can take notes. What he's really saying is the listening and the taking notes only seems to show you the effectiveness of that if you actually put those things into practice. And what he's yelling at these people about is, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I've told you to do? The authentic disciple is to have that unnatural perspective. We talked about that a few weeks ago in verses uh, 20 through 26, they speak to that strange blessing that one gets because you are now a part of the kingdom. You are out of the world. You, you have been saved out of the world, and now you are a, a resident into his kingdom. And because of that, you have an unearthly, an unnatural perspective of each, because of, in the, and in light of eternity, it helps you evaluate your present circumstances. And so you have a different outlook. And, and you recognize that this is a different kind of economy here in his kingdom than it is in the world. So, so much so that there are blessings that things that he calls blessings are diametrically opposed in the world. For instance, it's good. You are blessed because you're poor. You're blessed because you're rejected. You're blessed because you're hungry. He talked about those things. That's an, that's an unusual, un, un, unearthly kind of perspective. Very unnatural. The, uh, next, the, the authentic disciple possesses an unnatural love. 
by which, through which, in which, he loves his enemies. He does good to those who do him harm. He treats others as he would, ha- as he would like them to treat him or her. And then the next thing he talked about is the authentic disciple practice is unnatural mercy. That's, that's that part where the, the, the authentic disciple is always open. You're not prejudging. You're, you're, you're always judging, but you're never judgmental. And we've got to make um, those kinds of efforts to accept those people who are different than us and receive them so that we can share the grace of our Lord. And then in that same section, he's talking about us being giving. So we, don't, we, we not only forgive, but we give. And then finally, the authentic disciple uses unnatural discernment. So this, this is keeping the whole. So we don't just hold on to the one verse of judge not lest you be judged. It's so much more than that. He calls us to a whole life of judging. So we're to be judging rightly because he has given us the tools to do so with moral decisions, with doctrinal decisions. We know God's word and then we're equipped to make hard choices. The authentic disciple's fruit is produced from the good that Jesus brings to him. So through, through his word and through the Holy Spirit and by that conversion experience, the disciple is able to act in a way that is consistent with what Jesus brings. So we've seen the characteristics, and finally we see that the authentic disciple stands. So in verse 48, where he says, those who do his word, I'll show you what he's like. 48 says, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the steam stream broke against that house and, and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground with a, without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, it immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So those who come to Jesus and hear his word, meditate on it, apply it, and do it, will stand firm through the various trials of life. And one thing we know is that this life will give us trials. The li- this life in our fallen world Though we may be regenerated, this life is still filled with trials and tribulations. What will you be standing on? Those who are doers of God's word and not merely hearers will stand through the fires and the trials of this life. The family who lost their six children were able to stand because they continuously came to Jesus. They continuously heard his word and they applied it in their lives and they were doers of God's word. And with it, they were able to encourage others and be a witness for him and glorify God in the midst of their trials. Are you a hearer? Do you listen? Or do you sort of tune out and become preoccupied with other things? Do you meditate and apply God's word in your life? Are you a doer? How can you be more of a doer? How can you improve your hearing? How can you improve your doing? What is it that's standing in your way? See, there are only two houses described in this, in, in this parable that Jesus gives us. There are only two houses. There's the house that's built on anything else, and then there's the house that's built on the rock, which is Jesus himself. There are no other options. Those are your choices. And so the, understanding that, 
would help us see that your pursuit of Jesus is the most important thing you have to do. You can strive after many things in this life. But if you're not striving first and foremost for Jesus, your other goals, your other achievements will be insignificant in comparison, in light of eternity. How do your priorities align with that very goal? The people, later, in a different, chap- in a, in a different book, in a different gospel, in the Gospel of John in chapter 6, the people asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered them this way. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Pursue Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.